0: Welcome to Third Friday's, the monthly legal talk show from Lois, LLC, featuring attorney Christian Seeson. This is the original forum in which real attorneys discuss workers' compensation issues, share their opinions, and engage in colorful conversations. This show showcases diverse perspectives of attorneys handling workers' comp cases, including
1: case law trends, practical litigation strategies, and hot topics. Here's your host, Christian Seeson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the February 2022 edition of the Third Friday's Podcast. I'm super excited to record this one. One, because I have two guests. Uh, Typically, it's one attorney that I go back and forth with, and I think the numbers spike up when I have more than one guest. I worry that maybe just my loyal listeners like other people uh, and their voices over mine, so it actually starts making me run the wheels and and get as many people on so that they can hear other people's talents. And I just sit there, uh, hoping to show how, uh, uh, far we've come really, uh, from a talent perspective and from where the law has advanced for us to use it for our clients. So, Without further ado, uh, I welcome back Addison O'Donnell to another appearance on the third Friday's podcast. Welcome, Addison. What a shameless plug. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And uh, for the first time, uh, Corey Benavides. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks, Christian. And there's nothing wrong with your voice. Oh, there we go. It's like, it's like, uh, it's almost like I'm interviewing an attorney and they say, oh, I listened to your podcast, and it's like, okay, already, into the point in the yes column, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Uh, You've already made it, Corey. You've made it to the firm. You've made it to the the podcast, really, but uh, thank you. The compliments never go unnoticed.
2: I I was told I do well in interviews, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we're here today to talk about uh, really what we believe to be a changing of the guard, in New Jersey workers compensation. So I think before we get into the nuts and bolts of the case we're talking about and the decision we're talking about, let's talk about how we got here. What it Corey, what is the what is the topic of interest that our listeners are really going to dive into with respect to the decision in uh Wutrich or Watrich versus Joel Lynn Enterprise?
2: That's gonna be medical provider applications, everyone's favorite stepchild. It is a case typically in New Jersey where a medical provider will render treatment. They'll be dissatisfied with whatever was paid for the bill. And then they file an application to have that reviewed and hopefully get at least a little more money out of us. Um, Specifically, we're going to be looking at jurisdiction. One of the bigger problems in our system right now is that no one really knew where to come down on these cases. Um, There was a lot of parody throughout the courts and jurisdictions, and I think the case that we're going to talk about later actually gives us a little bit more of a a through-line argument that we could use to render that issue no longer a problem. So it at least gives us some footing to make a substantial argument as to why a case, which every time I've had to deal with has been a New York workers' compensation case where the claimant in New York would come to New Jersey for treatment. Sometimes they're a resident. Most of the time they're a resident in New Jersey. Um, and then that provider would be dissatisfied with what was paid because it's paid to, uh, according to the New York fee schedule, which we don't have in New Jersey. We have what's called usual and customary and, I don't know if I want to call it fair, but... Right. Like usual, customary,
1: and laughable. Yeah,
2: that's more like it. <laughs> uh, it's it's. I mean, some of the prices can be like 30 to 1. It's pretty crazy. So you see the benefit they have to filing that medical provider in New Jersey um, as opposed to doing it correctly with an active workers' compensation case in New York uh, for which they were paid. So when we are bringing these cases to a judge live for the first time, We've already filed our motion to dismiss based on lack of jurisdiction, and there we're looking at these six factors that will bring a headache to even the most calm and level-headed people. Um, The judges are looking for the place of the injury, basically subject matter jurisdiction issues uh, almost 90% of the time. They're in New York, so we're looking at the place of the injury, uh, the place of the formation of the contract, which we'll talk about later, Addison. Mm -hmm. Uh, where the employer... Um, You're
1: talking about the employment contract. Yes, the mm-hmm. employment
2: contract. So where the employer is located and where the business is carried out, uh, where the industry is located, um, you know, little international shoe for everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to you know, people that are listening to this that have recently graduated law school or maybe just are legal nerds, like the <laughs> three of us, you start to bring back that civil procedure professor that mm-hmm. harped on minimum contacts. Richard Freer. Oh, you're just going to name drop your, your guy. <laughs> That's my guy. Love it. That's him. your guy. I'd still
2: follow him. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, the, the other two factors are employees' residency and you know whether or not there was an adoption of jurisdiction by contract, which is almost never an issue. Um, I'd say for the large majority of the jurisdiction medical provider applications that we have in New Jersey, we're looking at an employee that lives along the Hudson River, usually. Not in this case. Um, and they will argue that the employment contract was accepted in New Jersey, and that right there would be enough for them to at least maintain jurisdiction to get past our motion to dismiss, and then we continue on as it would be a regular medical provider application. Um, judges are afraid to make a call sometimes. I get it. We're, we can't ever really prove that contractual peg of this of this puzzle, there's really very few times you'll see like an employee's application or a signed letter of employment where it states where the person received it and accepted it. So, you know, the petitioner or the claimant who's contacting them for a medical provider application, we tried, doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, their case is over and done with. They want nothing to do with anybody. Um, but well, they also
1: don't have. A vested interest in how much their doctor gets paid.
2: Absolutely, they could care less.
1: I guess in theory they could say, "Well, if my doctor doesn't get paid, maybe he or she won't treat me any longer." Or as uh, you know, you'd like to hope that the uh, Hippocratic Oath still pushes doctors to fulfill their duties to to treat. But- this, is,
0: this is workers' compensation, not doctors' compensation.
1: <laughs> right. I was expecting that line for sure. There we go. That was in the chamber, wasn't it?
0: Absolutely.
1: So, uh, we in the normal course, right? In the normal course of this type of claim, it's it's a it's a battle because the doctor is well. I want—I want to say purposely. Maybe sometimes purposely they're—they're they're dragging the claimant across the river. We'll refuse
2: to say that, but some of them do have offices in both states. I'll just say that.
1: Right, right. So we're not going to attribute that, but whether or not it is purposeful, the argument still maintain is maintained. There's a jurisdictional argument for saying no, no, no. Like this is a New York claim, and you were paid under the jurisdiction of the New York Workers Compensation Board. Exactly. Right, and so we have clients right Corey, where the substantive file the 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 workers compensation claim is handled by a new york litigation team and then the doctor files this medical provider app which is handled by our new jersey litigation team yours truly there you go oh my gosh (laughs) it's like uh uh i don't even have to uh Pump you up. No. (laughs) Again, a shameless plug. 100%. I don't even know if it's shameless. I'm going to say it's not shameless. I was being sarcastic. (laughs) So, okay, Corey, you set the table. Now, for this case specifically, Addison, what, what were the facts behind it and, you know, Obviously, you know, I'm asking this question almost facetiously or rhetorically. Do, do Does Corey's argument apply to these facts?
0: No, absolutely. So Corey pretty much set the table for me. We have a New York workers' compensation claimant who filed the case in New York, was injured in New York, and works in New York, period. The claimant crossed the Hudson and had a surgery conducted by a doctor in the Garden State. This doctor then filed a medical provider application to the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Division. Uh, Pursuant to the standing uh, regulations in New Jersey Workers' Compensation, a medical provider has the ability to file a document to the court, to the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court, In order to obtain uh, compensation that the carrier had not paid or that the respondent, the employer carrier, had not paid, if it were an in-state, i.e. a New Jersey petitioner, a New Jersey injured worker with a New Jersey workers' compensation claim, that medical provider, if that medical provider is not paid, of course, can indeed file a claim petition pursuant to the standing regulations. That is not what's going on in this case, though, and this is this is the insidiousness behind, you know, why a doctor, why a medical provider would want to file a claim petition in New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court.
1: You kind of like have your cake and eat it too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So essentially, as it arises from this case, we have we have uh, New York, which uh, has a prescribed fee schedule for certain. Uh, you know, surgeries, treatments, and whatnot, and it's regulated by the state. It's regulated by the board. It's regulated by the medical director's office. There's, a, there's an entire uh, structure within that uh, compliance system. And then we have New Jersey under this squishy, usual, customary, and
1: quote-unquote
0: fair standard. <laughs> so essentially, here's what's going on in terms of the argument.
1: Actually, usual and customary doesn't even imply fair, right? Because no. uh, you could have a, a sample size of unfair, uh, you know, uh, prices for procedures and treatments. And as long as that gets repeated, they're almost controlling the mechanism or, or the amount that they paid by, you know, having all their buddies from med- medical school just charge the same amount. That's true insofar as the context
0: of payment. So if last year it was, for example, $1 and next year it's $30, right? And times that by a thousand. Maybe last year it was a thousand dollars. This year it's thirty thousand dollars. If it shocks the conscience, even if it is usual and customary, it could be reduced in some way. We could litigate on that. So it context is what creates perspective here in terms of fairness. So in terms of the argument though, in terms of how do we attack an out of state Workers' compensation claim, and an in-state, and when I mean in-state, I mean New Jersey. An in-state uh, medical provider application referable to that out-of-state claim in New York. Well, it's two. It, it goes two ways. Jurisdiction cannot be created where it does not exist, and there is no conflict or choice of law because New York is the proper jurisdiction. So when we when we look at this when we look at this apparatus when we see That a doctor could go to New York, should go to New York, that New York has a pick tray of options for this doctor to obtain a fee schedule check for the operation, surgery, treatment that that doctor had performed in New Jersey, but chooses not to do it and goes to New New Jersey, uh, the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court for payment, there is something very sneaky, and I use the word insidious, there's something very odd about it. So I, I want to explore this argument. I want to explore about jurisdiction and conflict and choice of
1: law. The I guess the idea too is, you know, when you, you mentioned conflict of law, choice of law, the fact that the New York workers' compensation claim is open means that there is a mechanism for how a doctor is paid. And there are oftentimes... Now, I I hope it's not often enough, and I hope it's not with our clients, that a doctor will send a bill to a carrier for treatment provided. And it may be over over the amount that the fee schedule permits. And just like anything else, there are probably times where a carrier will just pay the bill because of any number of reasons. It's high volume. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And if they don't, there is now a mechanism within the New York Workers' Compensation Claim for the provider to request more money, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Addison, you know that a lot of doctors are parties of interest in the New York Workers' Compensation Claim. Some of them receive hearing notices, they definitely receive copies of decisions. Absolutely. We've seen them even file objections to proposed decisions, finding disputed bills in the carrier's favor. And so what you're talking about, this insidiousness of going through with the process in New York and then saying, oh, wait a minute, but I get more money if it's a New Jersey claim. Let me file through the workers' compensation division, which I love. I love love the the name, the workers' compensation division. It's intimidating. The division, yeah. Right. So how does that factor into your… Under, I don't say understanding but I guess your your theory of how choice of law or conflict of the law is apparent here sure so uh,
0: jurisdiction cannot be created by implication by uh, estoppel, by waiver by uh, just wanting for it to be in existence right it must be explicit and workers compensation uh, is a forum of limited jurisdiction. A workers' compensation judge cannot sign a divorce order. That's in New York and New Jersey. A workers' compensation judge cannot declare me bankrupt. That's in New York and New Jersey. A workers' compensation judge can't uh, evict a tenant out of an apartment. Uh, Jurisdiction is explicit. Indemnity benefits as wage replacement, medical treatment and payment thereof, settlement considerations, and... Attendant third-party uh, considerations as well. And so when we look to the Workers' Compensation Act in New Jersey, right, and, and you want to talk about division versus the board, right, with New Jersey and New York, uh, the law in New Jersey is called the act. The. Oh. The act. And in New York, it is the, the law. law. So when I refer to act and division, it's New Jersey. I refer to board and law, it is New York. So the 2012 Amendment and the, Corey, you could speak to this as well, was amended and did not confer explicit jurisdiction to medical provider applicants, to those who wish to bring forth a claim in this kind of context where there's an out-of-state workers' compensation claim. Uh, This act did not contemplate this. It did not uh, enable or confer this kind of standing to a medical provider applicant. And as such, jurisdiction cannot be formed. It can't be formed from the Larson factors, from the Macroni case. It can't be created where it does not exist. And so when we talk about choice of law and conflict of law, there is no conflict. The, and honestly, there's no choice, right? It, again, it's workers' compensation, not doctors' compensation. The doctor's not the plaintiff here. The doctor is like an interpleader, the doctor is an attendant party who cannot necessarily initiate a case from his or her own fruition. And when I talk about the conflict or choice, it really goes back to the proper jurisdiction is the originating state in which the workers' compensation
1: claim uh, was filed. Okay, so how how did this case progress? Right, we we have a, a situation just as you guys have outlined. How have how has this this New Jersey court dealt with it, leading up to this amazing decision? Because obviously, we're not having a podcast episode for to talk about uh, you know a bad result here. Uh, so, you know, was there a trial? Was there preliminary conferences, how, how, how does this process go through the New Jersey courts?
2: So, this one was the result of our motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction. Um, Judge Leitner wanted to have the parties brief the issue in depth and actually render a decision, which does not happen very frequently. They might have some conferences regarding, you know, oh, have we discovered where the contract was formed yet? No? Okay. Adjourn two cycles. That happens constantly. This was a much more formal, rigid uh, motion hearing with briefing on both sides where the parties were actually able to eloquently, Addison, Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you. uh, craft these briefs to not only go into detail of the facts of the case, but also really make an argument as to why one unpublished decision in the same jurisdiction shouldn't apply the Solus case and um, I'm sorry Spiros not Solus, Spiros, Solis, Spiros. Uh, and that was um, basically giving the judge the fuel he needed to actually bring down a decision based on logic not necessarily strictly based on these factors that we see uh, that are constantly talked about And I think that that is a larger issue that no one ever really broaches. And I got really giddy when I was reading your brief because you kept that that constant string of like, keep this in perspective. Yes, these are factors. Yes, these are important. But the overarching issue here is that we're essentially creating jurisdiction.
1: I know you love that that sentence on on page two, right? The arguments were particularly well-researched. Comprehensive and persuasive. It's just, you know, like a little like pat on the back. Man, what a feather in my cap.
0: <laughs> you know, speaking to the Larson factors and jurisdiction, Corey, you know, I I love how medical provider applicants hang their proverbial hat on the fact that the, that the petitioner, the, that the injured worker, I should say the claimant, really, because it would, it would be an out of state uh, uh, claimant. that a claimant, were told of his or her hiring in New Jersey lived in New Jersey, had a work-related accident in New York, and filed in New York. I love, uh, in that kind of scenario, I love when medical provider applicants say yes, but the claimant was hired in New Jersey, therefore New Jersey is the proper jurisdiction. Concluding otherwise, concluding in that way, despite whatever, yields absurd results. Imagine going on a road trip, and you're in Wyoming, and you receive an email From a prospective employer and from your reading of the email in Wyoming, your employer located in New Jersey and your future work accident in New York, you then go to the Wyoming court. And so I'm filing a Wyoming workers' compensation court because I read the email in Cheyenne. It yields bizarre and unpredictable outcomes. Here's my
1: IP address from (laughs) I know the the pinged location of my phone.
0: It's it's ridiculous. I mean, had the injured worker accepted the job on vacation in Hawaii uh, while militarily deployed in Kuwait, waiting for a layover flight in Tokyo, you would create jurisdiction by inclination just. Just based on where the information was ascertained of employment, that's ridiculous, right? And so, relying on these, on on that, uh, and hanging hanging one's hat on that kind of analysis is really weak. Because speaking words of acceptance over the phone or pressing OK on an email, depending on where you were, cannot provide substantial uh, contacts with the forum. Exactly, it, it, it's impossible.
2: And I feel like that was largely. Ignored and rather than kind of hone in on that issue, those two factors we talked about are the only like those two Larson factors, the residency factor and the contract factor are the the probably the biggest in terms of a judge dismissing our case or allowing it to progress and lead to a settlement ultimately.
0: And it's it's an because uh, in, in, and I know why they're doing it, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pretend I don't know why. If a New Jersey uh, resident worked in New York and was a, was contracted for the job in New Jersey, then the state of New Jersey might have a substantial in, interest in a New Jersey workers' compensation claim, right? It sort of makes sense. However, it's an inapposite here because— a New York claimant works in New York, employed in New York, gets hurt in New York. New York has the substantial interest. doesn't matter where the claimant lives. The claimant could be in Timbuktu for all we care. It, it actually, uh, it's, it's laughable because they're using reverse logic here in order to justify a doctor to have standing referable to an out-of-state claim when that doctor wouldn't have standing anyway. So I'm just I'm I'm baffled that that, uh, that a medical provider could certify on a claim petition, can in good conscience certify through counsel or what have you, that they that they believe that there's jurisdiction here when it's it's almost laughable it's it's
1: shocking. Well, they're doing it because they haven't had a decision like this, you know, prevent them from doing so right and it's like you give a mouse a cookie right the the whole idea of having this long line of situations occur and occur and occur Mm -hmm. and occur and now this case comes down i mean uh, we're talking about a law judge that's citing states constitutional duty to give full faith and credit to the compensation statutes of other states I mean this is – when you're talking about well-researched legal scholarship, this is stuff that actually takes you back to being called on by a professor in law school with the Socratic method. Like all these (laughs) principles that you never actually think would come up in a real case. And you know, we get to this point where the decision says there is no evidence presented here to suggest that the claimant or the petitioner performed his duties anywhere other than New York nor that he was stationed anywhere other than New York. While one can assume orders and support came from the employer's headquarters in New Jersey, such is not enough to establish localization of the duties in New Jersey. And the judge, I think, does a good job of trying to understand the doctor's point of view. He actually says, it is intellectually tempting to adopt the reasoning that New Jersey has a substantial interest in claims medical care provided within the state because you're right you're saying that that you can it kind of makes sense if you a state uh acquires taxes from its Mm -hmm. inhabitants then it wants to also take care of those people right right? but we get to the point where you know enough is enough right and and how how does how does the court find that way I, i i think that they actually just use a little bit of common sense. And and what's the subtext here?
0: The subtext is what is not written in the text but what is implied based on the decision. We discourage form shopping. The provider cannot be dissatisfied with a potential lesser remedy in New York and attempt to claw into New Jersey for a better one. That's the subtext. And the judge doesn't have to write that, right? This This is what's underneath the decision.
1: What is actually at the heart of this case, right? We, right, and your talk, Corey was talking about how you were talking about how this isn't a usual way of addressing this issue all the time, right? Which is kind of why it's a little right. bit surprising. So now, you know, we're we're getting to the point of if we're down this road, we have a chance because this isn't happening under the normal course of uh, of. And, and then the opinion ends uh, by almost I don't want to say admonishing, but it just says, hey. In this this instance, the provider certainly knew this was a New York case. Thus, even if New Jersey did have jurisdiction, it appears that under this factual scenario, it is likely that New Jersey would find New York's fee schedule to be the usual, customary, and reasonable payment, and no additional relief would be provided in any event. Mm
2: -hmm. That's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. That will be in every brief I file for a motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction Going forward, I'm highlighting that
1: one. Right, because that is perfect. You're you're connecting like the difference in how the law is adjudicated on this issue in both states, and the judge is saying, "Yeah, we have usual customary and quote unquote fair." But what it, that is for a New York claim is the fee schedule exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And no New Jersey
0: doctor, medical provider. I shouldn't say doctor because medical provider is everything. But I but. You know, uh, they should—they shouldn't be shocked. They shouldn't be surprised. They should be confused when there's a New York workers' compensation claimant crossing the river, right? Everyone uh, and seeking uh, treatment in New Jersey. The, uh, you know, the claimant's case bills to the appropriate carrier, right? The appropriate carrier in for a New York workers' compensation claim would be, claim would be a New York carrier, and there's a significant paper trail that exists in terms of treatment, and I, I really do feel, ultimately, that there is no question of law here, and this, is, this, this irks my brain, this, this hurts my heart, that there is an entity that is using a regulation for standing in order to obtain a relief that makes no sense in creating jurisdiction where there's none.
1: Well, maybe not as much anymore because I of know, this. I so, know. which kind of leads me to the next point, right? What happens next here, and you know, what is what is the next step for this case? And uh, you know, obviously, we are going to pump this opinion mm-hmm. in our current cases because now we have real opinion, real gravitas behind our arguments, right? It's not just us storming the castle; right. it's someone else being like they should storm the castle, <laughs> right? So. What what, what happens next?
2: I'll be filing a lot of supplemental certifications very shortly to include this argument, this decision, and again, to maybe pull back away from these factors so much and look at it logically that why would we allow this jurisdiction to create itself when the claimant has already filed a case in New York? We have tons of these cases. And I can't wait to go through them because anything with a similar fact pattern like this, I don't logically see how another judge can read this decision and not
1: agree. It seems too logical for me. Right. They they would have to depart from a colleague's analysis of this, which is, you know, sometimes we look at decisions, even ones that are in our favor and Mm -hmm. say like, you know, a good claimant's attorney, a good petitioner's attorney could probably refute this on appeal. Right. I think this is... I, you know, I go so far to, say, no, I wouldn't go so far to say it's ironclad, but it's very regimented. It's very supportive, right. using you know legal principle, actual cases, and distinguishing between certain fact patterns and the laws of two distinct states.
2: Exactly, and I think those are the points we need to hammer. And I think using those arguments, it, it really leads you down one road, unless you really want to distinguish yourself. For a, Maybe it's an argument I haven't thought of. I didn't see Addison uh, come up with a uh, uh, an argument against his own just you know, to defend it because, I don't know, logically, I just
0: don't see it. No, and look, it, it, it boils down to a challenger, someone who goes to the court, bears the burden to prove his or her case. I can't just walk into a courtroom and say, judge, I want this. And the judge say, OK, the judge is going to say, why do you want this? what is your basis for wanting it cite to other precedent in which in which we can rely upon it doesn't necessarily in my mind matter if the if there are published or unpublished decisions on this right because anytime someone puts pen to paper whether it's whether it's published or not there is a logic there there are someone's substantial rights the people the parties the litigants put into the papers into the arguments and the underlying decision that has yet to be written in a theoretical case, their hearts, souls, and minds into the arguments here. And then the judge could, may or may not, could or could not, publish uh, with, with some precedential power, some binding power. I think the Honorable Judge Leitner did a fabulous job. I think the judge did a great job. Because the the North Star here is that jurisdiction cannot be inferred, implied, suggested; it must be explicit. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, Corey's forthcoming motion decisions. Me too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. The final thoughts, guys? Or that was kind of a nice bow wrapping that we just did. But did you guys have any final thoughts before we close up Uh, shop today? Yes,
2: Addison, thank you for your hard work. You've made my work a little easier.
1: Anytime, anytime. Well, uh, for Addison O'Donnell and Corey Benefides, my name is Christian Cisan, reminding you to defend from day one.